Hey, this is Kiran Nagrai from the Sparking Entrepreneur Show, and today we have Cindy Villanueva with us. Cindy is a memoirist and inspirational writer with a passion for helping women achieve lives of strength and joy. She is a seven-degree black belt master instructor and the owner of Erin Ray's World Martial Arts in Austin, Texas. Her love for teaching led her to become a adjacent professor at Concordia University, Texas where she teaches undergraduate marketing and graduate marketing management and leadership she speaks regularly on leadership and women in business with that said let's welcome our today's guest Cindy Cindy welcome to the show thank you so much for having me yeah Cindy you are a black belt so my question to you is should i be scared so let's get into it let's know what got you into coaching Yeah, I have enjoyed teaching my entire life. I can remember being in elementary school and playing school with my younger brother over the summers. Poor kid had to go to school even in the summertime because we would set up desks and I would teach him things. And I then as I got older, I taught at my martial arts school. So for 16 years, I have had my martial arts school. And then when I got my MBA at Concordia, I really enjoyed the school and went back as an adjunct professor. So I've been doing that since 2014. And then I've been a mentor at most of the companies where I've worked. And so coming into coaching seemed like a natural evolution of just something that I've always done informally and now I do on a more formal basis. Of course. Wow. And tell us about the client experiences, the success stories that you have created after you became a coach officially. So anything that is on the top of the mind, right? Yeah, I was thinking about this question the other day. I can remember one woman in particular who really stands out to me. I think that there are a couple of really important milestones in careers. When you're moving from an individual contributor, where perhaps you're great at what you do. And so your leadership team says, oh, you're great at that. So surely you should manage the people who also do that, which is an entirely different skill set. And on one day, you're shoulder to shoulder with other individual contributors doing your job. And then suddenly the next day, you're not peers anymore. Now you're their manager. And it's a difficult transition for a lot of people to make. And I find that there's a lot of imposter syndrome and wondering, like, why am I suddenly elevated? And are they going to take me seriously? That sort of thing. So at any rate, I had one woman in particular who had moved into that kind of a role. And so her reaction to that was to continue doing all of the individual contributor work and trying to manage and trying to tell her individual contributor team how to do their jobs better. And so she was failing, for want of a better term, on a lot of different levels. She was working 16 hours a day. She was working weekends. She was missing birthday parties. She was missing time with her husband. And she was burning out. And not only that, she was having a hard time with colleagues at work who didn't necessarily want to work with her. And so her manager, who I've known actually for quite a few years, called me and said, hey, I'd like to hire you to mentor her and work with her on leadership. And so we worked together for a really long time, for probably a year. And what I uncovered was that it really was this sense of doubt, self-doubt. She had a lack of confidence. She didn't believe in herself. So she clung to what she knew. 
which was the individual contributor role. She was absolutely fabulous at what she did. So she clung to that. And then because she was insecure, because she lacked confidence, she was abrasive with other people. So we really worked on how did she come across to people? What was her personal brand? How did she want to be perceived? And also we tried to uncover what was really driving this lack of confidence. Was it really that she didn't feel confident to be a manager? And what we started to uncover now, listen, I'm not a therapist, so this wasn't psychotherapy, but we uncovered the fact that she had been, her entire life had been told that she wasn't good enough, that she was always having to prove herself to her family. And she felt like she was in that kind of a situation. And so slowly but surely, we worked on building that confidence, recognizing her value and her worth, allowing her to delegate, releasing people to either succeed or fail, to learn to be a coach herself rather than a micromanager. And so I would say she's one of my one of my bigger successes. She surely is. And can you now give us an insight about the steps and processes that you put forth to move from one point to another or any other client or any specific blueprint that you might use to to get people move from one point to another? It's a great question because I think a lot of people go into coaching and they feel like they need to impart some great wisdom. They have to have all the answers for their clients. I approach it very differently. I really believe that the clients have the answers themselves. You just have to help uncover it. I think about the quote, Michelangelo, and I'm going to get this wrong. I don't have the exact quote, but he was asked, how do you get the angel out of that marble? And he said, it's very easy. I just keep removing pieces of the marble until the angel emerges. And, and I really believe that's what good coaching does. So I asked a lot of questions. And I also insist that my clients are leading those, the, that they lead each one of our meetings. They come into it with something that they want to discuss. And I build trust by not having a cookie cutter approach that everybody in this role should be doing these things or thinking these things or saying these things or behaving in this way, because everyone is going to be a little different. Every company is going to be different. Every team is going to be different. So part of my role as a coach is uncovering what's the culture there? What are the interactions between people? What's the, the industry? What are the skill sets? And allowing that angel, so to speak, to emerge from that person, whatever struggles they're having. Yeah, totally. So questions is the way to answers. Absolutely. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And I think far too often we just even not even in coaching, just in relationships, we don't ask enough questions. Totally. Totally. So being curious and asking questions and then leading them to the answer. Sandy, the next question to you is about the uh, ways that you think you yourself use to keep yourself inspired as a coach? That's actually very easy. I love helping people and I love seeing people succeed. From the time I can say at my martial arts school, at the regular black belt classes, but regular color belt classes. And a lot of times I would be teaching children whose parents would come and watch. And then they would come and ask me, do you think I could do this? Am I too old? And I would get to explain to them that I didn't start martial arts until I was an adult. I didn't do it as a child. And I did it really to just have something fun to do with my kids. And working with adults and seeing them 
come on the mat the first time and be awkward or feel uncomfortable and slowly but surely watching their bodies transform, seeing their confidence transform, going through it with them for three, four or five years and being able to tie that black belt around their waist when they earn that, seeing the first time they break a brick. Those are the kinds of things that light me up, that keep me very motivated. And I would say when it comes to business coaching, it's very much the same thing. When you have somebody who is recommended to you, who comes in with a particular set of problems or insecurities, or really it's a brand new role. The areas that I specialize in are, as I said, when an individual contributor becomes a manager, that's such a pivotal point. And then again, when managers become directors, and now they're not just managing individuals, but they're managing other managers, which again is a key milestone in someone's career and requires a different skill set, requires a different toolbox. And so when I work with those individuals and I'm able to see their success, that keeps me very motivated. Got it. So it is lighting up by lighting up other candles, you keep yourself lit. Yes. What a beautiful way to put that. I like that. I'm going to steal that from you. Cindy, <laughs> my next question to you is about the goals, okay? So after achieving so many things in your life, have you figured out ways to achieve a goal? Is there any particular formula to get the goal achieved? It's a wonderful question because I think I'm, I'm 61 years old. So it's the way I look at goals today is very different than I did 20 years ago, 40 years ago. For me now, it has to be something that I'm, I'm passionate about, that I really love. It's not a matter of, oh, I need to get that next promotion or I need to get that next black belt. For me, it's really, what do I love doing? What am I going to, no matter what the sacrifice is, what am I going to enjoy doing? For example, the association that I'm with, the Ernie Reyes Association, all of the school owners, all the master instructors are testing for our next black belt next summer. And I had to sit down and really think about, okay, I'm going to be 62 and a half when this test comes along will be nearly 63 by the time the test is because it's next summer. I've had one knee replacement surgery. I have two titanium shoulders. You get injuries, you get older, you get tired, you can't do all the same things. It's going to require training five, six days a week. Is this something that I really want to do? I don't really care about getting one more stripe on my black belt. It's not like I'm you know, dying to get that eighth stripe on my black belt. But the process of achieving this yeah. is so wonderful. I get to spend time with black belt friends who I've known for 25 years. I get to work out and not at 61 go, oh, I'm just going to be old and I'm just going to get fat and lazy and I'm not going to take care of myself. I get to push myself physically to see what I'm capable of, which was not what I was at 40, but I can still do a lot. I can still kick you on the head. I can still, <laughs> it's those things of challenging myself. And then it's knowing that when I go to the test, because when we do these, they're called mastery tests. It's five or six days long. You're sleeping on the ground in a sleeping bag. You're getting up at dawn. You're doing crazy, difficult things. And when you're in the middle of it, you're thinking, how am I going to get through this? But at the end of it, it's this amazing sense of achievement. So this is a very long way of me explaining to you, but for my big goal right now is my black belt test. Another really big goal that I have for myself is I'm, I have become an author and I published a, a memoir and self-help book called Don't Fight Mad. 
and I published it in 2020. I've been in this writing group with hundreds of people all over the world. And, and so you post things almost every day. And so I was back when I was writing the book, I was posting things, getting feedback. And then I started just messing around with fiction. And I hadn't written fiction since I was in high school, but I, it was something fun. I just started writing. And so I got a lot of feedback from other authors saying, oh my goodness, are you writing a novel? What is this? This is different. We love this. And I really was just playing around with this character that I invented. Her name is Azalea. She's a middle-aged woman. She's divorced. She owns a marketing company and she loves Barcelona. And I just would write a scene. I had no story and no plot, no nothing. But people were starting to really like this woman. And so I had a friend who uh, is up in Canada who's in one of my writing groups. And he said, Cindy, are you writing a book? Where's your plot? Where's your beginning? You got to either tell her or she's got to get married or something has to happen. And so I thought, I'm going to give it a try. And so I ended up writing a book and I was adamant. I'm a black belt. Well, I'm a tough girl. I, this isn't going to be chick lit. This isn't romance. Yeah, it is. It actually is. And so I wrote a book called uh, Bread Pudding in Barcelona. And she is, like I said, she's this middle-aged woman. She Half the book takes place in Barcelona and it's a love story. And so I'm currently in the process of querying agents and looking for an agent for the book. In the meantime, I wrote the series. I wrote the sequel to the book which is called Something Will Sing to Your Heart. It's another romance novel with some of the same characters in it. And that goes to my editor in a month. And I have started working on the third book, which is called A Thistle and the Savannah. And they, all of these have exotic locations in Europe. And, then, and they all take place also in Florida. And at the beach is a big piece of the thing. So my point is my goals have changed a lot. My goal right now is to get this series published traditionally rather than going the self-publishing route and and would love to sit on the beach and, and write books for the rest of my life. Wow, this sounds interesting to me. Can you please give us an insight about the ways people can get those books when they are released? What are some platforms we can expect the books to, to be on? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Don't Fight Mad is available on Amazon. You can get it in paperback. You can get it at barnesandnoble.com in hardmail. It's also on Apple Books, Audible. I, I recorded actually an audiobook of it as well, which seems to be the really popular one. So you can get it in audiobooks as well. You can find me on my website at cianueva.com. And um, I also write on Subsum at Cindy Villanueva. So a lot of different ways you can find me. You can track me down somewhere. Yeah, totally. Please, one last time. Can you uh, spell your name for the website? Yes, it's C-I-N-D-Y-V-I-L-A-N-U-E. So do reach out, guys. With that said, that leads me to my next question. Tell us about the misconceptions that you feel are in the coaching industry right now. What are clients thinking before reaching out to a coach? Yeah, such a good question. I think there's a couple of misconceptions. First of all, especially after the pandemic, a lot of people went into coaching. And so there are good coaches and there are not so great coaches. It's one of those things where people feel like, oh, anybody can do this. I can give advice. That's not what a good coach does. And I think also the misperceptions with clients are that you're going to listen to their problems and you're going to hand them a solution. 
And that doesn't help anybody. And I don't mean this to be pedantic, but it's almost when you're raising children, if you do everything for them, they never learn to do it on their own. I'm very fond of the story about the butterfly where, you know, there's a, there's someone who sees a butterfly struggling to break free of the cocoon. And so she goes and she helps and she tears it open so the butterfly can come out. The butterfly comes out and it's absolutely beautiful and it hops around and hops around and it never flies because part of what a butterfly needs is breaking out of the cocoon because that's what strengthens the wings to enable it to fly. And so here, thinking she was doing something kind for the butterfly, she actually inhibited its growth and prevented it from ever being what it was supposed to be. And we can do that as coaches. If we make it too easy, if we spoon feed answers to our clients, it might work in the short term, but they're never going to spread their wings. They're never going to fly. For us to be who we were designed to be, we have to struggle. And so a good coach will nudge you, will encourage you, will offer solutions, but will never spoon feed them to a client. Totally. I agree with you. And what a wonderful uh, way of putting that. So. Like with the butterfly example, I had an initial awareness about it, but I didn't know what would happen if we uh, help it too much. And that's what happened. So don't do that, guy. That leads me to my final question. I don't want this conversation to end, but limited on time. So give us some final advice, some action steps to take after listening to this conversation. Yes. So if you are a coach, you need a coach too. I can't say enough about having those people in your life who are going to hold you accountable, who are going to to make you think differently, who will constantly challenge you as well as a coach and a person. The things that you learn as a coach are so important for you professionally, but they're also important for you personally. How do you deal with people? How do you handle difficult conversations, whether it's with a spouse or another family member or a friend? Some of those skills that we use in a professional sense are absolutely applicable in the personal sense. So I would say don't ever neglect yourself. It's like the the cobbler whose kids don't have shoes. It's important to, to exercise that element of self-care and always be looking for ways to improve and to be better. And the other thing is to always remember when you're dealing with clients, it's not always going to be a perfect match. And it, it, and you don't, you give them a disservice if you keep plugging away. You know what? This is not a good match. I'm not the right person for this client. I could perhaps recommend someone who is, but just because you gel great with some people, the majority of people does not mean that you're going to necessarily click with everyone. And it's really better. I have found to part ways early and no harm, no foul. This isn't a matter of, this isn't animosity. It's really just, I want the very best for you. And I don't feel like I'm going to be the best person for you. I can make these recommendations and I really encourage you to continue on your coaching journey. I'm just not the best person for you. Totally, totally. Make sure guys that if you resonate with her at all, so do reach out to her. And the best ways, one last time, please mention all the best ways of reaching out to you, Cindy, because the listener has taken the time to listen to the entire conversation. They are interested. Give us an insight of reaching out Absolutely. to you. Absolutely. So your best bet is to, you can go to my website, 
and or follow me on subs. I post uh, pretty regularly on LinkedIn. And if you would like to talk to me about coaching, I do obviously a lot of Zoom coaching. You can reach me at Knockout Marketing Strategies is the name of my marketing communications consulting company, appropriately named. And the website there is omarketingstrategies.com or feel free to email me at Cindy at klmarketingstrategies.com. I'd love to work with your listeners. Yeah, guys. So do reach out, guys. With that said, that was today's episode of the Sparking Entrepreneur Show. Thank you. Thank you so much, Cindy. It was a pleasure and an honor to host you today. Wonderful. Thank you so much again. I am your host, Kiran Agrar, signing off. You guys take care. Bye, guys.